So we have Jasmine, Oliver, Ted, and a pizza. Welcome, everyone. Today is... Wait, hold on. I'm going to start over because I don't even know what day it is. It is the 24th of January, 2016. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our talk podcast episode number four. Today is Sunday, January 24th, and we're recording live right now with Jasmine and Oliver in his sparkly blue nail polish. And... Mikhail is off at a mysterious herbarium in Huntington. Who knew? And our topics for today are tattoos, basically the story of Oliver, Mikhail, and I getting tattoos a couple weeks ago in Berkeley, and the more appropriate salient topic of Shiny and the new release of Shiny and how we've used it. So without further ado, let's kick it off. Cool. Um, so yeah, the tattoo, tattooing story is um, Mikhail and Ted and I joked on Twitter that it would be funny if we all got the R logo tattooed on us, and then it stopped being a joke, and then also stopped being the R logo. Um, and so instead we have a selection of uh, mathematical formulae and proofs and functions, uh, pictures of which will, of course, be posted on the website. Um, so I got the uh, probability density function for the log normal distribution, um, which I discovered it had an unintentional side effect. Um, I got stopped by the TSA on my way out of the Bay Area so that I could explain to the TSA agent what it meant and why it was useful and what it did. Um, so I can confirm that the um, Transport Safety Administration are t- still utterly useless at protecting human safety, but do now have basic statistical knowledge. So that's nice. <laughs> Uh, I have gotten a lot of eye rollings at work when people have seen it because they all know what it is. And then a lot of questions where I've had to explain what is the Poisson distribution. So that kind of gives away what my tattoo was, which is the uh, probability density function for the Poisson distribution. And Mikhail's not here, but he got a non-normalized Bayes theorem tattooed on his left forearm, I believe. Yep, and held my hand the entire way through because, and I quote, it hurts so bad. Which is totally okay, because both of us are secure in our masculinity and because tattoos really do hurt. Um, Particularly if, I'm not sure if people are aware of this, um, I mean, so Mikhail is ginger, which people are probably aware of. Um, There are a lot of weird and interesting genetic components of being a redhead around pain tolerance and sort of drugs for relieving pain tolerance. uh, relieving pain, rather. Uh, basically, if you're a redhead, you have a lower pain tolerance than the norm, according to some studies, and are more likely to be allergic to morphine. So, um, yeah, that that was fun. Um, it was interesting. We didn't go to my normal tattooing place because it was full and also, and I quote here, scary. Um, but we went to a place in, in Berkeley that did a pretty good job and, and had a couple of people who clearly knew what they were doing and were very good with some first-timers. Wait, did I say it was scary? Was that you, you did. <laughs> I, I definitely felt um, out of place there, whereas when we were at Warhorse Tattoo in Berkeley, I was like, oh, this is, this is definitely where three guys go to get a math tattoo. <laughs> yeah, so the, the place we normally go, or I normally go, rather, is in Oakland, and I've um, 
had, I think, five tattoos there. Um, and and I didn't understand why people were like, this doesn't feel like our, our kind of place because I've sort of been there so often that it's just like, of course my tattooist is a really, really tall guy with teardrop tattoos and an unhappy look. Like, that's totally normal. That's what my tattooist looks like. Um, apparently to people who haven't been, like, localized, it, it is not just what a tattooist looks like. Um, they didn't have slots either, so it worked out. So, I mean, do you guys have any, like, personal feelings about your tattoos? Like, why Why did you choose those particular equations? Why, you know, have you, you know, used it and it's really come in handy or any kind of, like, personal connection to the specifics? Uh, well, for me, the Poisson distribution is used a lot in ecology, which is my background, so... It's commonly used for analyzing count data, and one of the things that you often analyze are counts of species and plots or other kinds of measurements like that. Uh, they tend to be over-dispersed, so Poisson's not always ideal, but it's generally a good starting point and a good approximation. So it definitely had a good connection to my academic past for me. Yeah, and for me, um, I study humans, and the log normal defines everything that humans do most people do exactly the same thing, however independent they are, think they are, and then there are a couple of weirdos who mess everything up for everybody, particularly the poor analyst who sat there explaining to their manager why no, the arithmetic mean is not the answer to this problem. Um, not unfortunately a joke. I once had a manager who um, insisted on the arithmetic mean with log normal distributions. Um, I, I, I tried repeatedly to explain to him that this was a bad idea, he just, his, his words were, I refuse to use any model that I don't personally understand. Um, so in the end, I just did the mature and responsible thing and um, built the geometric mean into the dashboards and then just called it mean and hoped he wouldn't ask any questions. Uh, I guess the last question on this would be, Jasmine, if you were getting a tattoo um, about math or... A probably density function, which one would you get? Hmm. That is an interesting question. Uh, so I did, I did, I think I was also uh, inebriated when I responded back that I would also be a new czar and also be willing to get a tattoo. <laughs> but if I, when I am there and um, what I'm thinking about getting, it's probably not a mathematical function, but if I had to, um, Maybe, uh, let's see, maybe the Logit? I don't know. Um, it's been pretty useful so far. Um, I'm getting into a lot of uh, insurance data, and that's been pretty interesting and pretty useful, and uh, I really like understanding about what it's about and what it's used for, so uh, that's, I think, a statistical, uh, you know, a tattoo that would be interesting to have. Um, I also thought about having just, like, you know, just getting the, E of Y on my back and saying I have a target on my back. Um, oh. <laughs> but, uh, see, that's why I don't know if I can go I can go full, full forward. We'll have to see. Um, <laughs> but those are, those are ideas. Uh, I guess I'm uh, still, still in the planning stage. <laughs> nice. I, um, I figure if I had to get another one, it would probably be the Couchy. Um, mm -hmm. Just cause, have any of you read Gelman's paper on, um, uh, using uh, sort of um, Bayesian-style regression using um, 
uh, weekly informative priors to like push data back into shape. So so it's it's really fun. Um, but one of the things he finds is that um, the Cauchy distribution is actually like just applying the Cauchy is is just right a lot of the time. Like it's not. Um, always the best approach, like isn't the best outcome for a particular data set, but it is consistently a like moderately useful approach where other things sort of alternate between being great for the data and terrible, um, which was kind of cool to see and kind of fun. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably get that. Um, but to be perfectly honest, I'm not planning any more statistical tattoos right now. I wasn't planning this one. I've actually got a tattoo consult this coming Wednesday because like the tattoo I previously got was completely unprompted. Um, so this will be interesting and they'll be like, when did when did you last get your tattoo? And I'll be like, last Tuesday or whatever. Anyway, um, so yes, so that's tattooing. Um, if anyone else is going to be, who's listening to this is going to be a user and is interested in going to a tattoo shop, um, Ted and Mikhail and I will sort of walk you through the process if you haven't got tattoos before. And if you have got tattoos before, you know what it's like. All right, awesome. So let's move on to our next subject, which is Shiny. So Shiny is a R package that is a web application framework for R. So you have your, your analyses, and you get to turn it into living, breathing analytics. Uh, you get to have people um, view data visualizations and view different types of plots and view data tables and really get an understanding of your analyses and what you're trying to produce. And it becomes a not just a one-way uh, type of analysis. It's it's interactive. Uh, it's a little bit more informative. It's informative. It's fun. Um, and th there's so many different usages for Shiny uh, across different industries, how people are using it, the, skies, the size and scope of how Shiny is being used. Um, and it's just been, I think, a really powerful tool. I think it's been out for three years, approximately, and it's just amazing the the, the examples that are currently out there. Um, so yeah, that's the, the kind of the ins and outs of Shiny. Um, it uses basically um, um, our wrapper functions around HTML and CSS, so you could essentially not have that web development background, and you can still produce these awesome web applications um, with R running in them. And uh, yeah, shiny. <laughs> it, it is great. Um, as, as proof of the you can build web things in it, I actually wrote my website as a shiny application just for fun. Mm. Um, it's got like my biography and the papers I've done and the code I've done and my CV, and it's only 40 lines of R. Um, like, at no point did I have to write anything other than R to set up a website. Mostly I did it as a joke because I was tired of losing the competition David Robinson and I have of who can write the silliest thing in R. Um, but it's actually worked out pretty well and it's been sort of stable and sitting there for a good year now. Um, there's also, on top of Shiny, um, another package called Shiny Dashboards, which is exactly what it says on the tin. It's um, add-ons and extensions to Shiny. Uh, that are optimized for building reporting dashboards. Um, so it's got things like uh, the JavaScript digraphs library for plotting like very, very pretty interactive time series that you can zoom in on. Um, and we use it a hell of a lot at work. We've got, I think, six different dashboarding uh, systems for each of the systems that our team is responsible for. Um, all of them 
uh, built in Shiny, all of them report like, this is the number of searches that happened, this is the success rate of the searches that happened per day, um, which is, is really, really fun. Um, trivia, they're all named after My Little Pony characters. Because um, it was too good an opportunity to pass up, right? So the first one we ever made was just called Rainbow, because Rainbow Dashboard. Um, yeah, okay, I'll get my code. Um, and it's a pretty fun platform. The one objection I have, and this isn't actually an objection about Shiny and Shiny dashboards, this is just a, like, I would really love if this thing existed. Um, Shiny and Shiny dashboard are a great framework for the, I have my data, now I want to show it to people side of things. I would really love to see an automated framework for, um, in R, for, um, I have all of my databases and I need to collect all of the data and crunch it um, and like throw it into a flat file that Shiny can then read in on a different machine or whatever. Um, I've, I've been like building systems like that for the last 18 months or so and so I can wax lyrical about like the various weird situations I've run into um, but it would be nice if there was something similar to Shiny but for the collection side of things that existed. Ted, do you, do you have questions, leading or otherwise, about Shiny that we can insert? I, I have no leading questions about Shiny. I've used Shiny uh, quite a bit. Mm. I remember it's. I remember sort of downloading the first version of it and, and playing around with it. It's interesting to me because I, you know, work in tech, and so we do do a lot of things like dashboarding and, and whatnot, but the standard that I see a lot more than anything else is Tableau, which I kind of despise. I wish I had good reasons for despising it, but part of why I despise it is I think it's vastly inferior to Shiny, uh, and I really wish that we could do more work with Shiny dashboards. I think they're pretty great. I mean... You know, I guess part of it depends on your connectors. Tableau is obviously great because it's got some good built-in connectors to lots of different database types, whereas, you know, that can be sort of hit or miss with R, so that's one complication. I don't know about you guys, Oliver, if you guys are connecting a lot of to databases or you just download all the data into R and kind of dump it into flat files and then load it in, how do you guys do it? Yeah, um, so we're not for a couple of reasons. First is um, running queries like every time someone looks at our dashboard makes operations angry. Um, and second, like the Shiny dashboard instance is public. Our analytics cluster where all the data lives is firewalled off from everything. In fact, it's even firewalled off from the production cluster, although that's not so much to do with user privacy as it is to do with that time when an analytics engineer accidentally left a virtual private network connection open inside the analytics cluster for about six months, and operations decided that it was going to be firewalled now to prevent them from putting everyone at risk. Um, but as a result of this, we can't connect directly to the databases from the dashboard. Like, we um, have a job that runs every day and goes and grabs, like, daily aggregates from the databases and then spits them out onto a machine which does have a public instance. Um, and then the Shiny dashboard just uses reader and um, HTTP connections to sort of grab the data from the flat files. Um, I, I like I'm totally fine with this. I think the need for persistent database connections is kind of 
overkill. Um, like unless you're querying data with so many different permutations um, that you really can't like store everyone in a flat file, you have to ask specifically what the user wants and then go off and grab it from the database. Um, I really don't see an argument for that kind of repeated question uh, connection. Like if the argument you have is well, we want to be able to grab data every second or every minute or something. No, you don't. No, no good decision has been ever made by looking at like per second or per minute um, calls. Um, so yeah, so so we do, we don't use database connections. There are some great guides on database connections in Shiny, and I know people who who do, um, or who use like WebSockets or something similarly fancy to stream data events over. Um, Hadley wrote a really good example of that actually. Um, it streams over CRAN downloads as the downloads happen. Um, and uses a bloom filter to avoid like overwhelming the system. And so you just end up with like per event updating shiny dashboards showing who's downloading what and what packages would be most downloaded. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, we don't we don't personally use that. We don't we haven't encountered a situation where we need to and we prefer to keep things simple. Like flat files have their own problems to deal with, but they work for us. Hello, Mihail here. Uh, so I just want to note that if you go to discovery.wmflabs.org, you can see the dashboards that Oliver's talking about. Um, there are so many things that we do with the data on the dashboarding side that it wouldn't make sense for us to do to actually pull in the data in real time on the dashboards because we do a lot of like post-processing on the dashboard side. Uh, please continue with the show. Yeah, so on my end, so I'm probably going to have Mikhail possibly edit this out. Um, so I have a new internship, so I'm not sure how much I can and cannot say, um, but I'm kind of leading the efforts in bringing Shiny um, to them and working as kind of like their main developer. This is the part where Jasmine talked about like sensitive work-related things, so we're just going to cut that out. See, I'm not sure. I mean, in the future, you definitely don't need to be um, the idea is that you want to, you know, have a model being refreshed and having that data available, but there comes a point where you have to consider, you know, the, the usage of Shiny and how you're actually going to be interpreting this, and especially for the intended users. Um, so, and then in a sense, you, you may not need the database connection. You might be okay with having a, um, like a CSV file, which I think is what's going to be going on. I see the, also the dangerous part is... Uh, building building on your local machine and then trying to understand how it's going to be on the uh, Shiny server. Um, so, I mean, those are things I'm definitely considering um, in the development, upcoming development. But as, as far as it goes right now, I think from my standpoint and seeing it in industry, uh, it's definitely Shiny is well-received. It is definitely easy to understand, easy for concepts to people to grab. Um uh, and also, it's. I don't think it takes that much. To, doesn't take that much convincing, uh, as far as because everybody's already doing R. Um, the fact that you can say, you know, well, there's this new, there's a new tool that's going to improve what we're doing on, um, and it's going to be, you know, more efficient for our stakeholders to look at. Uh, definitely makes Shiny uh, win out above all the others. And you know, it, it is. You know, you can say that it's, you know, HTML and CSS free. Um, and which is also really good feature. So I've, I think I've been, you know, in the past two months, been able to sort of introduce a new tool, very, very minimal concept roof, and have Shiny really impress people to where this is going to be the new platform. And um, 
sort of the new stance in insurance analytics, which is pretty interesting. Um, nice. Yeah. So. Yeah. You you touched on a really interesting point there. Um, on um, so you mentioned uh, sort of it being the the platform and um, you know you can just like you you can just have the data analysts write it. Um, this is true, but so one thing we found really interesting at the foundation with Shiny is um, it's introduced a load of problems we didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Not because it's bad, but because it's great, and it means that we effectively have uh, data analysts doing software engineering tasks, right? Like writing scripts that run every day as a software engineering task, building a platform that stays up even if like you throw NAs at it or it doesn't have today's data, or it does, but it doesn't have this one day last week's data or whatever. Um, is is an engineering platform making a uh, problem, um, making sure that it works on your local and also works on the remote. Um, so so we've ended up weirdly structured around our dashboard work as kind of like an engineering team um, and and thinking kind of like engineers, but having to get a lot of the basics that engineers always have done uh, and sort of learn it from scratch because we haven't done this before. Um, so we've we've done things like um, we set up a beta instance so that we have somewhere with exactly the same conditions as the machine it gets deployed to that we can deploy it to without breaking everything. Um, we we do formal code review with like byline comments and nobody gets to plus two and uh, merge anything that they wrote, um, which can cause issues when you have a small team. Like if Mikhail goes on holidays, well, we won't be improving the dashboards this week unless it's like actively broken. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been pretty fun. The one criticism I have so far is um, uh, there's no real way to link to specific tabs on a shiny dashboard which is really infuriating, um, particularly when I'm like trying to send someone to a, link, a link to something or someone is trying to send me a link because they're like, this one graph is broken, and I'm like, I don't know which one. I have 30. And they're like, oh, it's this one. And they just get like the you know raw domain um, because you, you don't have per-page URLs. Um, we've sort of hacked together a solution to that-ish in JavaScript, but it, you know, it would be nice to have it built in. I think I've seen sort of a workaround to that where it's it's one app, but there are six different apps in between them. Yeah, which, um, yeah. yeah. It kind of defeats the entire purpose. Like, at that point, you might as well just host static pages. Yeah. yeah. So there are some definitely really good benefits, but I think as far as, like, an organizational uh, standpoint, it has these sort of new challenges, you know, you're having statisticians and researchers kind of take on these, these software engineering roles, which is interesting, yet you also then either the workload needs to change or you need to have, you, you then need to kind of structure your group differently and have people that are actually dedicated to it, so. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Well, another <clears throat> thing that I think is worth mentioning about Shiny is that there is a well-maintained Docker image for it. And so one of the things that I set up, and I was just checking the link to see if the application is working, and that occurs to me that it's broken, so I don't want to share the link, but I, uh, is you can take that Docker container, and then you can actually use it to deploy Shiny Server, and it's super easy. I have an instance that I set up on DigitalOcean, and the way that I handle the data, which is tremendously small volume, is I built a little API 
that just queries a, a small SQLite database. And that is pretty a pretty awesome way to build your Docker application, or sorry, to build your Shiny applications. If you've got sort of a small, you know, you aren't going to be using a ton of resources for them, is to use that well-maintained Docker image. So just sort of a, a plug for a pretty painless way of getting Shiny Server up and running on either your local machine or a remote machine if you're familiar with Docker, is to check out that image on Docker Hub. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, it does. We we use Docker to make sure that our beta instance and our production instance look the same. Um, we have run into a really obvious problem with the shiny Docker image though, which is um, it's a shiny Docker image. Um, it it works really well if you want shiny and base R. If you want something other than shiny or base R, well, then you might run into some problems and have to manually install it yourself. Yeah, I think. I changed a few lines to install some custom-specific libraries for the instance that I was using. And so if you want to move beyond, yeah, just Shiny and Base R and you have some custom libraries, you have to know a tiny bit of how a, a Docker container works and how a Docker file works. But I think that it's, it's pretty straightforward to, to add some custom bits. Yeah, agreed. Okay, to break the fourth wall, does anyone have anything else on Shiny? Uh, I don't have anything else to say on Shiny other than you know to say that it's awesome and great and you know let's R just have this completely extra facet, which is not only is it good at you know manipulating all the data under the hood and doing all the analysis, it provides a way to share that with you know other researchers or if you're in industry with analysts or whoever sort of your data customers are, I guess, to use industry lingo. Uh, or stakeholders. Stakeholders, that's a good one. I we never say stakeholders. Word. We say I, customers. I hate both words so much, like with a deep and unabiding loathing. Stakeholders because it's just bullshit business speak, right? It's from the same universe as people who say learnings to describe, like, the outcomes of things they've done. Um, and customers, for the simple reason that I work in the nonprofit space, and I think that describing people where you have anything other than a commercial relationship with them as like customers is is really really kind of creepy. Um, it, it's a way of contextually framing whatever you're doing to sound more or less palatable than it actually is. Like our users are not our customers; our users are our community. We are answerable to them. This is not a commercial transaction. They don't have to buy what we're selling. That's not how this works. Sorry, long communist rant. What do you call them, Jasmine? Uh, wait, what was that again? <laughs> what do you call them? The, the people who consume whatever dashboard you, whatever shiny dashboard you make, uh, we call them customers. Oliver calls his stakeholders. No, I call mine community members. Stakeholders oh, well, is the devil. Pe other people call them stakeholders. Community members, but what do you call them? I guess I fit on the, the customer end, um, and then, you know, say, internal versus external. Uh, yeah. It's just a nice way of saying who, who, who's consuming what, and, and yeah, I refer to a financial company, so we have no problem. <laughs> Everybody's a customer, so um, yeah, <laughs> I think the uh, nomenclature is okay. Yep, I'm I'm just an aging grumpy communist. I'm I'm <laughs> yeah. kidding. I'm an aging grumpy socialist. 
I think I'm the most aging of all of us. I, I feel like, strictly speaking, we're all aging equally in the sense that we age at the same rate. I mean, ish. I am the most aged of the aging. That's true. And here's what's new in Shining 0.13.0. Um, it's got HTML templating, and it's got Shiny modularization, and it's better at uh, checking for errors, and you can integrate with JavaScript more nicely. The, that's that's what I got out of it. The shiny gadgets. Have any of you guys okay. used shiny gadgets? I, I have not used shiny gadgets. Yeah. It I mean, it's, it's definitely tricky, right? Because you you are walking this really fine line between making this product that's really easy to use and doesn't really use a lot of JavaScript, but then there's obviously a subset of users who are like, I want to customize the hell out of this. Yeah. And they want access to all that under the hood. So I think you, you have to make this balance where it remains powerful and simple, but you have the ability to, to build lots of extensions. And I think that over time, there are lots of software products that have tried to walk that line, and they can just turn into bloated monsters. I'm not saying that's happening, but I think it is a potential danger. Okay. Anyway. All right. Sounds good, everyone. Take care. Some days. pizza. I am too. (laughs) See you guys later. Bye. Bye. And that's the end of the show, folks. Uh, Thanks for tuning in and listening to another episode of the R Talk podcast. Have a fantastic week.